part four section eleven of the freedom of the will by jonathan edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain of a supposed inconsistence between these principles and god's moral character the things which have been already observed may be sufficient to answer most of the objections and silence the great exclamations of armenians against the calvinists from the supposed inconsistence of calvinistic principles with the moral perfections of god as exercised in his government of mankind the consistence of such a doctrine of necessity as has been maintained with the fitness and reasonableness of god's commands promises and threatenings rewards and punishments has been particularly considered the cavils of our opponents as though our doctrine of necessity made god the author of sin have been answered and also their objections against these principles as inconsistent with god's sincerity in his counsels invitations and persuasions has been already obviated in what has been observed respecting the consistence of what calvinists suppose concerning the secret and revealed will of god by that it appears there is no repugnance in supposing it may be the secret will of god that his ordination and permission of events should be such that it shall be a certain consequence that a thing never will come to pass which yet it is man's duty to do and so god's perceptive will that he should do and this is the same thing as to say god may sincerely command and require him to do it and if he may be sincere in commanding him he may for the same reason be sincere in counselling inviting and using persuasions with him to do it counsels and invitations are manifestations of god's preceptive will or of what god loves and what is in itself and as man's act agreeable to his heart and not of his disposing will and what he chooses as a part of his own infinite scheme of things it has been particularly shown part three section four that such a necessity as has been maintained is not inconsistent with the propriety and fitness of divine commands and for the same reason not inconsistent with the sincerity of invitations and counsels in the corollary at the end of that section yea it hath been shown part three section seven corollary one that this objection of armenians concerning the sincerity and use of divine exhortations invitations and counsels is demonstrably against themselves notwithstanding i would further observe that the difficulty of reconciling the sincerity of counsels invitations and persuasions with such an antecedent known fixedness of all events as has been supposed is not peculiar to this scheme as distinguished from that of the generality of armenians which acknowledge the absolute foreknowledge of god and therefore it would be unreasonably brought as an objection against my differing from them the main seeming difficulty in the case is this that god in counselling inviting and persuading makes a show of aiming at seeking and using endeavours for the thing exhorted and persuaded to whereas it is impossible for any intelligent being truly to seek or use endeavours for a thing which he at the same time knows most perfectly will not come to pass and that it is absurd to suppose he makes the obtaining of a thing his end 
in his calls and counsels which he at the same time infallibly knows will not be obtained by these means now if god knows this in the utmost certainty and perfection the way by which he comes by this knowledge makes no difference if he knows it is by the necessity which he sees in things or by some other means it alters not the case but it is in effect allowed by armenians themselves that god's inviting and persuading men to do things which he at the same time certainly knows will not be done is no evidence of insincerity because they allow that god has a certain foreknowledge of all sinful actions and omissions and as this is implicitly allowed by most armenians so all that pretend to own the scriptures to be the word of god must be constrained to allow it god commanded and counselled pharaoh to let his people go and use arguments and persuasions to induce him to it he laid before him arguments taken from his infinite greatness and almighty power exodus seven sixteen and forewarned him of the fatal consequences of his refusal from time to time chapter eight one two twenty twenty one nine one through five thirteen through seventeen and ten three six he commanded moses and the elders of israel to go and beseech pharaoh to let the people go and at the same time told them he knew surely that he would not comply with it exodus three eighteen nineteen and thou shalt come thou and the elders of israel unto the king of egypt and you shall say unto him the lord god of the hebrews hath met with us and now let us go we beseech thee three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice unto the lord our god and i am sure that the king of egypt will not let you go so our blessed saviour the evening wherein he was betrayed knew that peter would shamefully deny him before the morning for he declares it to him with asseverations to show the certainty of it and tells the disciples that all of them should be offended because of him that night matthew twenty six thirty one through thirty five john thirteen thirty eight luke twenty two thirty one through thirty four john sixteen thirty two and yet it was their duty to avoid these things they were very sinful things which god had forbidden and which it was their duty to watch and pray against and they were obliged to do so from the counsels and persuasions christ used with them at that very time so to do matthew twenty six forty one watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation so that whatever difficulty there can be in this matter it can be no objection against any principles which have been maintained in opposition to the principles of armenians nor does it any more concern me to remove the difficulty than it does them or indeed all that call themselves christians and acknowledge the divine authority of the scriptures nevertheless this matter may possibly god allowing be more particularly and largely considered in some future discourse on the doctrine of predestination but i would here observe that however the defenders of that notion of liberty which i have opposed exclaim against the doctrine of calvinists as tending to bring men into doubts concerning the moral perfections of god it is their scheme and not the scheme of calvinists that indeed is justly chargeable with this for it is one of their most fundamental points that a freedom of will consisting in self-determination without all necessity is essential to moral agency this is the same thing as to say that such a determination of the will without all necessity must be in all intelligent beings in those things wherein they are moral agents or in their moral acts and from this it will follow that god's will is not necessarily determined in anything he does as a moral agent 
or in any of his acts that are of a moral nature so that in all things wherein he acts holily justly and truly he does not act necessarily or his will is not necessarily determined to act holily and justly because if it were necessarily determined he would not be a moral agent in thus acting his will would be attended with necessity which they say is inconsistent with moral agency he can act no otherwise he is at no liberty in the affair he is determined by unavoidable invincible necessity therefore such agency is no moral agency yea no agency at all properly speaking a necessary agent is no agent he being passive and subject to necessity what he does is no act of his but an effect of a necessity prior to any act of his this is agreeable to their manner of arguing now then what has become of all our proof of the moral perfections of god how can we prove that god certainly will in any one instance do that which is just and holy seeing his will is determined in the matter by no necessity we have no other way of proving that anything certainly will be but only by the necessity of the event where we can see no necessity but that the thing may be or may not be there we are unavoidably left at a loss we have no other way properly and truly to demonstrate the moral perfections of god but the way the mr chubb proves them page two fifty two two sixty one to two sixty three of his tracts viz that god must necessarily perfectly know what is most worthy and valuable in itself which in the nature of things is best and fittest to be done and as this is most eligible in itself he being omniscient must see it to be so and being both omniscient and self-sufficient cannot have any temptation to reject it and so must necessarily will that which is best and thus by this necessity of the determination of god's will to what is good and best we demonstrably establish god's moral character corollary from what has been observed it appears that most of the arguments from scripture which armenians make use of to support their scheme are no other than begging the question for in these they determine in the first place that without such a freedom of will as they hold men cannot be proper moral agents nor the subjects of command counsel persuasion invitation promises threatenings expostulations rewards and punishments and that without such freedom it is to no purpose for men to take any care or use any diligence endeavours or means in order to their avoiding sin or becoming holy escaping punishment or obtaining happiness and having supposed these things which are grand things in question in the debate then they heap up scriptures containing commands counsels calls warnings persuasions expostulations promises and threatenings as doubtless they may find enough such the bible being confessedly full of them from the beginning to the end and then they glory how full the scripture is on their side how many more texts there are that evidently favour their scheme than such as seem to favour the contrary but let them first make manifest the things in question which they suppose and take for granted and show them to be consistent with themselves and produce clear evidence of their truth and they have gained their point as all will confess without bringing one scripture for none denies that there are commands counsels promises threatenings etc in the bible but unless they do these things their multiplying such texts of scriptures is insignificant and vain it may further be observed that such scriptures as they bring are really against them and not for them as it has been demonstrated that it is their scheme and not ours is inconsistent with the use of motives and persuasives 
or any moral means whatsoever to induce men to the practice of virtue or abstaining from wickedness their principles and not ours are repugnant to moral agency and inconsistent with moral government with law or precept with the nature of virtue or vice reward or punishment and with every thing whatsoever of a moral nature either on the part of the moral governor or in the state actions or conduct of the subject end of part four section eleven